From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Father John Tregilio. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. You can also text the letters EWTN to 55000 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. A tremendous Monday to each and every one of you. Welcome to a new week of EWTN's Open Line. Father John Tregilio is in the house. If you've got a question today, the number is 833-288-EWTN. Anything you want to know about the Catholic faith, 833-288-3986. If you're outside North America, fear not. We have a number for you. That one is one two zero five. 2712985 and we'll even put you straight to the front of the line if you are outside of uh, the United States and Canada at 12052712985 you can always send us an email open line at ewtn.com or you can text your question text the letters ewtn to 55000 wait for a response text your first name and your question message and data rates may apply. I'm Jack Williams, Michael McCall, producing the program. Your call screener is Matt Gubensky and Michael McCall doubling up on your social media efforts today. So if you're watching us on YouTube or Facebook Live, you can type a question into the chat window and it may find its way to us by the end of the program. And our host, as he is every Monday from the Mount, Father John Tregilio, how are you? (laughs) I'm doing better than I was on Friday. I had a tooth removed. Oh, well, that's no good. Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, uh, I've had pretty good luck with dental situations throughout my lifetime. Mm. My, mom, my mom had terrible teeth. Uh, my dad, pretty good teeth, so I'm the beneficiary of that. But uh, I hope you're feeling better. You're better than Friday. <laughs> <laughs> he also gave me laughing gas. So I <laughs> Oh, where was I? <laughs> All those questions that I've always wanted to ask you would have uh, come right. Well, the dentist is what really intrigued me. When I went to see the dentist who referred me to the oral surgeon, I went into his office, and he's a Catholic. There's a statue of St. Apollonia, who's the patron saint of dentists <laughs> and people with dental problems, and there's this statue of St. Apollonia with a bowl filled with teeth. <laughs> I said, this is spiritually edifying, but emotionally it's very intimidating. <laughs> very good. All right, uh, we're starting to line up those phone calls, 833-288-EWTN. Gary writes in, During the Mass and before the Our Father, the priest says, At the Savior's command and informed by divine teaching, we dare to say. What are we being dared to say? (laughs) Why are we being dared to say the Our Father, he wants to know. Well, this is one of the wonderful tweaks that uh, Pope Benedict made to the uh, English translation of the uh, third edition of the Roman Missal. And I like that idea that we dare to say, uh, it's humbling for us to be able to say our Father. Uh, It's something that we don't deserve. God adopted us purely out of love. So that idea that we dare to say, it's not that we are in fear and trepidation, but it's this idea of uh, fear of the Lord, reverential fear, that we should be filled with awe and that uh, we shouldn't just take it lightly that we can call God our Father. 
<laughs> we've got we've got some clever emailers this week. Uh, I'm sure Steve, we do. <laughs> yeah, Steve wrote in and he said, "Why do we no longer say the word one in the collect as in one God forever and ever? <laughs> Are there more gods now? <laughs> no. <laughs> that is a more esoteric trend, a change that was made more recently uh, under Pope Francis, and it was uh, the English Commission on English and the Liturgy ISIL." Uh, and Vox Clara. Uh, again, there wasn't a lot of people who were getting confused when you said one God uh, because we understood it's three persons in one God. But I think uh, to make things more technically accurate and precise uh, because uh, it's not, the word one is doesn't appear in other languages. So that's why we nixed the word one. <laughs> And here's a question that we, we had this on another uh, edition of EWTN's Open Line not too terribly long ago, but it, it probably bears repeating. Uh, Joan says, we know that our Blessed Mother was quote-unquote full of grace. The question is, did she also continue to receive extra grace from God throughout her life? That's a very good question. <laughs> um, we know that Mary was given that singular grace uh, at the moment of her conception in St. Anne's womb, we call the Immaculate Conception. And when the angel uh, addresses her, uh, in Greek or gratia plena in Latin, says you are full of grace. Uh, something that's full has no room for anything else. That's why she was without sin. Uh, we believe that she remained sinless from the first moment of her conception throughout her entire life. Um, did she get an increase of grace? Uh, the church has never solemnly defined, but I would say... Um, Certainly, you know, sanctifying grace, she always had possession of. Actual grace, the grace that empowers us to do good things, you can always get uh, an increase of. So uh, she most likely got an increase of actual grace, sanctifying grace she was always filled with. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Marco would like to know why the Sacrament of Reconciliation is not available to non-Catholics. It's not available, not as a punishment, but because uh, Catholics are bound by Catholic laws. And so like the precepts of the church, going to Mass on Sundays and Holy Days, fasting, abstaining on the church's uh, uh, laws of, of you know Fridays during Lent and Ash Wednesday, and all the obligations that are imposed upon uh, a Catholic, those are things which then they can uh, confess in the sacrament. We don't have jurisdiction over those who are not in full communion. So obviously a Protestant can't come into confession and say, I miss Mass, because they're not bound by that. They're not bound by the canonical form of being married by a priest or a deacon. So they can certainly you know, receive a blessing. They can talk to a priest or deacon for counseling. But the sacrament, um, one must be in full communion. That's why when a baptized Christian from another denomination comes into the church, uh, we say that they're brought into full communion, and you know they certainly they make their first confession, and then they're allowed to receive Holy Communion. They can be confirmed, uh, and so forth. So it's not a penal thing. It's this idea again. I use the analogy: if you want to vote in the United States, but you're a Canadian citizen, you have to become an American citizen in order yeah, to that's, vote. That's becoming a murkier, a murkier <laughs> and murkier analogy, my friend. Yes, well, <laughs> we're not talking about down south. <laughs> 
But up north, they still <laughs> have that procedure where if you want to run for office or if you want to, yeah, I'll stick away from the voting part. <laughs> if you want to run for public office, you have to be a citizen. And likewise, if you want to receive the sacrament of penance and reconciliation, uh, you must be in full communion. Just like to receive Holy Communion, you must be in full communion. To receive confirmation. So uh, it's a package deal. Uh, Brendan asks if the Eucharist is necessary for salvation. It's necessary for salvation once one realizes it, and you're in full communion again with the Catholic Church. Uh, this is something that you, you know you were, it was supposedly taught to you uh, if you're an adult and you came into full communion. As a child growing up, um, you know certainly we made that clear to kids when they're receiving their first communion. We reiterate it at their confirmation, and we tell people during every Sunday, hopefully reiterate that it's necessary because not only is it an increase of sanctifying grace but it's the reception of jesus himself and he says you must eat my flesh you must drink my blood here's one that i've never pondered myself uh scott would like to know do children born through in vitro fertilization have souls yes anytime the egg is fertilized with the sperm and you have uh, the embryo, zygote, whatever you want to call it, that's a human being. Once that fertilization takes place, that's a unique, distinct uh, person. It's got an uh, immortal soul. And even though that person was conceived illicitly and immorally, they're still a human being. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. It's a free phone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-3986. Straight ahead, we'll talk to Martin in Bristol, Tennessee, Pat in San Antonio, Texas, Mike in Spokane, Washington, and we've got plenty of time for your phone calls at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Once again, if you're outside the United States and Canada, your number is one 205 Two seven one two nine eight five, and we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at one two zero five two seven one two nine eight five. You can always send us an email, open line at ewtn.com. Just put uh, Monday or Father John in the subject line. We'll get it to the appropriate location. And if you're watching us on YouTube or Facebook Live, just type a question into the chat window, and it may get to us by the end of the program. It's EWTN's Open Line Monday with Father John Tregilio. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. It looks like I may have given producer extraordinaire Michael McCall a little too much credit at the beginning of the show. Because wow. it looks like uh, Charles Beery is actually our celebrity 
uh, social media maven today. So, oh. uh, sorry, Charles. I didn't mean to. You have to do penance you now. At the beginning. I'll have to do something. Um, be sure to check out EWTN Radio Essentials. It's a channel that we uh, programmed, especially for the pandemic when we were in the throes of the lockdowns uh, a couple of years ago. Now, uh, you can listen for the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, celebrated every two hours, plus rosaries, chaplets, stations of the cross, and other devotionals every hour. You can hear EWTN Radio Essentials on the EWTN app, the newly designed, I might add, EWTN app, and at EWTN.com. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. First up today is Martin in Bristol, Tennessee. Um, was watching Call to Communion on TV earlier and hung on for Father John Tregilio. Mm. Martin, thanks for holding. Welcome to the program. Thank you. What can we do for you today? What is a Gregorian Mass, and how is it similar and different from a regular Mass? Okay, that, that's an excellent question. Actually, a Gregorian Mass is a collection of Masses. It's 30 Masses celebrated contiguously, so actually it's, it's one month worth of Masses, and it was typically offered for someone recently deceased, and uh, so you have commonly people would have one mass celebrated um, for a beloved one, and if for any reason they wanted to have thirty of them. Now the problem is most parish priests we have masses already slotted on the calendar because in any particular parish you'd have um, obviously you'd have one for every day of the week, a couple on Sunday because you have more than one mass on Sunday, so it's not really convenient to have. 30 days contiguously in a typical parish because it'd be the same person's name being offered all month long. Now, um, I was in a small parish where you could probably do it once a year, but in a very, from a moderate size to a large parish, it's just not possible. So many times a Gregorian Mass can be offered by a priest privately, a priest who's retired, priest in the missions, uh, or a very poor parish that doesn't get many uh, mass stipends, but in your average parish, uh, it's just not, uh, it, it's just the time-wise, you know, and, um, but it's a wonderful tradition, and particularly someone after someone's just recently been uh, deceased, uh, it's a wonderful practice if you're able to, to get it, but even one mass for the, uh, for the holy soul is, is, is efficacious. Thanks, Martin. We appreciate the phone call. 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Next up is Pat in San Antonio, Texas. He's listening to Guadalupe Radio. Pat, you're on with Father John. Hey, Father John. Uh, I have a deep devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. Um, and I'm you know, reading the saints, St. Margaret Mary, and stuff. It talks about a lot about his human nature, personality, and I'm, I'm trying to find out what offends him, and in reading her books and stuff, he's, he's offended quite often, uh, and I was just I'm very interested in his personality to know what offends him, what he wants love for love, he talks about sacrileges to her, he talks about being offended and taken for granted by priests and religious, and I was just, is that his is human personality coming out? Uh, I'm glad you asked that. Uh, first, 
the the church has solemnly defined as dogma that Jesus is a divine person. There's only one person in Jesus, and that's the, he's the second person of the Trinity. But he has two natures, a human nature and a divine nature. His human nature has a human intellect and human will, and his divine nature has a divine intellect and divine will. But there's only one person. Now, the word personality, some people use that synonymously with persons, but technically speaking, that's completely uh, different because when you speak about someone's personality, you're talking about their characteristics, their traits. But philosophically and theologically, a person is a very specific thing. Um, it's, uh, it's a rational um, entity. And in Jesus, there's this one divine person. Now, when it talks about what offends him, he doesn't get offended like you and I in our in our human person, you know, someone calls us a name, we get offended. But Jesus is offended as God when we blaspheme him, when we use his name to swear, when we commit sacrilege, when people receive Holy Communion in the state of mortal sin, or they receive it unworthily, they didn't observe the hour fast, or, um, you know, they just treat it very casually uh, when they, um, you know, abuse the, the, the other sacraments, you know, they're divorced and remarried, but they didn't get an annulment, uh, and they go to communion. Uh, or any any of the mortal sins in, uh, that we commit offends Jesus. But in a particular way, clergy and religious offend uh, the Sacred Heart of Jesus when we show disdain for that which is holy, and we just presume because we have this uh, special vocation that we've got it made so we can misbehave all those horrible things done by uh, priests and bishops and cardinals uh, against the sixth commandment greatly offended Jesus because, you know, taking uh, advantage of our position in the church and society. So those are the things that offend Jesus, but they offend him as God. Does that help, Pat? Yes, sir. Thank you very much. Robert. Thank you. Thanks. I got cousins in San Antonio, too. <laughs> 833-288-EWTN. Paula is watching us on Facebook Live. Give her a little wave there, Father John. She wants to know, where does the Catholic Church stand on seeing psychic mediums? We are against it 100%. We be um, again it. <laughs> for two reasons. The first reason is many times, most of the time, they're fakes. Uh, they're doing this to, uh, to build money out of people. Uh, they're not real. But the second reason is in those few cases where what they're saying is actually supernatural, it's not from God. It's from the devil. Um, and so it's like Ouija boards, tarot cards, uh, you know, get your, your fortune read by one of these soothsayers, or you go one of the, to the circus or Magda's uh, gypsy uh, tea room or something. Uh, these are things which one could possibly open up the dark door to the occult, or it could just open your wallet to being scammed. And I'll tell you, uh, Paula, if you go to uh, my wife's website, womenofgrace.com, and type in psychic or mediums, uh, they have a whole New Age blog that will give you all kinds of information. You can kind of uh, uh, get the lowdown on all of that stuff uh, right there. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Next up is Mike in Spokane, Washington, listening on Sacred Heart Radio. Mike, you're on with Father John. Well, thank you. Thank you both. Say, uh, since 1973, as you know, over 60 million abortions have taken place in America. 
And today's taxpayers' money, yours and mine, goes to Planned Parenthood for abortions, over $563 million in taxpayer money to Planned Parenthood. How, my question is, how can Catholics justify supporting abortion and taxpayer money for Planned Parenthood? They really can't and should not, but unfortunately and sadly, uh, some do. And uh, some, there are, it's, it's an oxymoron, but there's Catholics for um, pro-choice. It's against being Catholic. I mean, if you're a Catholic Christian, you must be against abortion because it's the taking of an innocent life, which is, which is murder. Um, but that doesn't mean that there aren't, quote-unquote, uh, pseudo-Catholics who are pro-choice, who are pro-abortion, who do support uh, taxpayer subsidy of of this of this horrible crime, uh, they exist, but they're not authentic Catholics. Then eight three three two eight eight E W T N is our toll free number eight three three two eight eight three nine eight six. Joe is in Arlington Heights, Illinois, watching us on YouTube today. Joe, you're on with Father John Trujillo. Uh, good afternoon, Father. I'm in Arlington Heights, Illinois. Uh, you referred to the Our Father earlier, so I have a correlative, uh, correlative question. One of the verses says, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So my first question is, what does that mean? And secondly, to me, is it, it, the verse implies, I think, that what occurs in heaven uh, occurs because there's no free will, and therefore we're praying that we. I don't. Know, I don't know what the verse means, <laughs> so I'm asking. Okay. Well, um, first of all, there is always free will. Once you receive free will, the moment you're created, you always have it. Those in heaven uh, do not lose their free will. The point is, when you're in heaven, your will and your intellect uh, have two objects: your will is oriented and is only satisfied by the good, and your intellect is only satisfied by what is true. God is pure, absolute truth and goodness. Therefore, when you're in heaven, your will is totally, completely satisfied. So you can't, it's that you you have exactly what you want, so you can't want anything else. Uh, We're here on earth, we only have uh, finite, limited goods and truths, and therefore, you know, we can get distracted, we can be unsatisfied. But in heaven, you have the possession of the good and the true uh, through the beatific vision, but you still have your free will. So God's will on earth and in heaven, we would like both to be um, coincide. We would like, uh, you know, synchronization of the, of, of the two. In heaven, God's will obviously is, is manifest here on earth because we have free will we're not in possession yet of the fullness of truth and the fullness of goodness. We are asked by God to continue to look for that, to seek it, and to full embrace it as much as we can. Once you're in heaven, it's, it's it's easily done because there's no other options. But when you're on earth, we are the ones who have to pursue God's will and hopefully uh, embrace it and not let it go through our fingers. Does that help, Joe? Uh, does the verse mean, so it's thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So yes. God's will is being done in heaven in the sense that we willed to be perfectly good and so that we're now in heaven, so God's will has now been satisfied. 
Well, that's that's true, and God has two dimensions of his divine will. His ordained will and his permissive will. His permissive will is what he allows to happen, like he allows the laws of gravity to take place because he's the one who created it. So if a rock falls off a mountain, that's part of his permissive will. If you fall off the roof of your house, that's his permissive will. His ordained will, what he directly chooses, he chooses that we... Uh, be safe, but he respects our free will, so he doesn't force it upon us. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. It's EWTN's Open Line Monday with Father John Tregilio. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. It's a free phone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-3986. Next up is Jane, a first-time caller in Pensacola, Florida, listening on Guadalupe Radio. Jane, you're on with Father John Tregilio. Thank you, Father John. Or take my call. I just have a question. I don't exactly understand a plenary indulgence and what it means. Is it like a free ticket to heaven or passport <laughs> or what? Well, I'm glad you asked that because well, it's a ticket. <laughs> not not free so much, but definitely a ticket. Yes, it is a ticket. It's not a get out of jail free card though. Like we used to play in Monopoly. Um, the whole idea of indulgences is that it's an application of the infinite and uh, merits of Christ and the superabundant uh, merits of the Virgin Mary and all the saints uh, in that Jesus uh, suffered so much that there was an overflow of, of supernatural merit available. And the church can then apply that through what they call the treasury of merit uh, to particular people under certain circumstances. A plenary indulgence is the full remission of temporal punishment due to sin. A partial uh, indulgence is when, you know, obviously it's not the same as the full. Um, a person needs to be in the state of, of grace, meaning no mortal sin. They must also have made Holy Communion that day, say the prescribed prayers or do the per, or the prescribed action. Like, for instance, on Divine Mercy Sunday, um, if you pray the Divine Mercy Chaplet, at 3 o'clock on Divine Mercy Sunday, you go to communion that day, and you receive uh, the sacrament of penance, uh, either 21 days before or after. You have the potential of receiving a, of a plenary indulgence, but only if you have no attachment to sin, even venial sin. And if you have any attachment, which, which is any fond memories, then it defaults from plenary to partial, which means if you were to die at that moment, if you had a plenary indulgence, you would literally go right to heaven because there would be no need for purgatory. It's the full remission uh, of the temporal punishment due to sin. Since we have no way of knowing with, with moral or metaphysical certitude if I actually achieved that plenary indulgence, you at least can hope that you got the partial indulgence, which is uh, obviously means that there's still some temporal punishment due. But it's not this idea of parole, where somebody is uh, in purgatory and 
grandma gets a few years shaved off her sentence, so to speak. That's the way some people looked at this. It's not juridical. It's something that's uh, purely spiritual. Um, but you can receive an, a plenary indulgence every day uh, of the year if, if you're properly disposed. You can also offer up uh, a plenary indulgence for uh, one of the, the souls in purgatory. Uh, you just can't offer it for a, a living person. But since you know that being detached even from venial sin is not an easy thing to do, it's not just an easy thing you can say, oh, great, I can commit sin during the week and then you know, get a plenary indulgence and I've got that out-of-jail, uh, get-out-of-jail-free card. It doesn't work that way. And so when people uh, during the Middle Ages, particularly at the time of Martin Luther, there were some unscrupulous priests who were allegedly trying to sell indulgences, well, that's a sin of simony. And once you try to sell something that's spiritual, it loses all uh, efficacy. That's why if somebody something's blessed and you sell it, it loses the blessing. So the people who thought they were buying an indulgence, one, they were committing the sin of simony. The priest who was selling it was committing the sin of simony. And there was no actual indulgence that, that took place. But on the other hand, if you do the prescribed work, uh, whether it's praying the rosary before the Blessed Sacrament, praying the Divine Mercy Chaplain on Divine Mercy Sunday, uh, going um, on to the cemetery on All Souls Day, saying some prayers for the for the deceased. There are many, many things. There's an Incaridian Indulgentiarum book that tells you all the different prayers and things you could do. Uh, a priest has his first Mass or his 25th anniversary. There's a, a potential for a plenary indulgence. But you must be in the proper state to receive that. Does that help? Yeah, is that clear it up, Jane? Oh. Oh, yes, so much. Thank you so much. Well, you're very welcome. We appreciate the phone call. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. Father, have you ever heard of a telephone apparition? A telephone apparition. I've never is heard. Is this where the Blessed Mother is calling somebody? Well, I'm I'm wondering because we <laughs> our next caller is in South Bend, Indiana, uh-huh. where probably the most famous educational institution dedicated to Our Lady in, in America is located, right? And her name is Mary, and she's calling from South Bend, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Mary, you are on with Father John. Hello? Mary, are you there? <laughs> Maybe we're not. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll... We'll come back to Mary. She may okay. be making us wait patiently for uh, now, I'm, now, I'm, now I'm nervous. Um, yeah, now I would be. <laughs> we'll, we'll try another location in the great state of Indiana, okay. Goshen, Indiana. Rick is a first-time caller listening on Redeemer Radio. Rick, you're on with Father John. Hello. Uh, thanks so much for taking my call, Father. Um, so I'm, a, I'm, I'm in RCIA right now. I'm becoming a Catholic. And I come from a Protestant background, but specifically kind of a charismatic background. So okay. my question is um, regarding the gift of tongues. So yes, I, I speak in tongues uh, regularly. I feel it really edifies me. I, you know, and I know not everybody, you know, I don't come from the Pentecostal background where, you know, everybody has to speak in tongues. But, but I, it's a precious gift to me. And the, when I talked to my priest about it, he kind of like shrugged his shoulders and went, yeah, yeah, no big deal. Um, and we haven't had a follow-up to talk about it. But he was like, he, didn't, he was like, that's cool, you know. But yeah. I guess, what is, what do you, I, I've heard of this, 
I don't know, fringe group called, you know, charismatic Catholics. I mean, wherever, I don't know where they hang out. Yeah. They're like Sasquatch or something, you know, they're out there somewhere. I mean, what is, what, what do you do? What do Catholics do with tongues? What are the thoughts on it? The integration, is there any integration of it into services or whatever? Or anyway, yes. I just, just, that's, that's it. That's my Okay. Well, first of all, you can always pray uh, in tongues privately, whatever you're, I mean, if you want to, when you're praying by yourself in, in your home, uh, you can always, and, or outside, uh, you, can, you can certainly pray in tongues. There is what we call the Catholic Charismatic Movement, and every diocese has someone who's sort of uh, the, the, the spiritual director. I remember when I was, um, uh, for a while, when I was working on my uh, doctoral studies, I was up in Erie, and I took one of the masses for Father Larry Richards, because uh, he was uh, a, a part of the uh, charismatic movement up there. And uh, it was my first opportunity to celebrate Mass for charismatic Catholics. And they certainly, they prayed in tongues, and uh, it was a unique experience. Uh, it's not for everyone, but neither is the, the Latin Mass, whether it's the ordinary form, extraordinary form. Not everybody, I mean, it, you know, that's one good thing about the Catholic Church is, you know, uh, Catholic means universal, so we have a whole variety of spiritualities. Uh, we have Opus Dei, uh, we have Curcio, uh, we have Charismatic Movement, we have uh, the Latin Mass. So don't be embarrassed or afraid of, of using that as part of your spirituality. It's just that at your ordinary, typical parish, especially if it's uh, small or, or medium-sized, there may not be enough people there to have a particular group, but that doesn't mean you can't start one. Uh, obviously, you want to coordinate with, with the priest or the deacon that uh, might be uh, there to, to be your spiritual director for that. Uh, in larger parishes, you mo almost always have uh, different little groups. I used to have a very active uh, Curcio um, group in, in my uh, two parishes, as well as uh, the Knights of Columbus and the Council of Catholic Women. Uh, in the larger parishes, when I was uh, in Holy Name of Jesus and, and St. Joan of Arc and Hershey, we actually had charismatic uh, prayer groups that met. So it is, it does exist, but, you know, always under the auspices and, um, you know, spiritual direction uh, of, of the diocese and of the parish. How's that, Chris? That, that's, that's awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, and I can tell you, as, a, as, a, as someone who came from uh, a charismatic evangelical background myself, I think you'll find a whole new appreciation uh, for that under the uh, umbrella and teaching of Holy Mother Church. So uh, welcome, welcome, welcome home almost. <laughs> we'll see you at the <laughs> Easter on the way. Vigil. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Next up is Chris in San Antonio, Texas, listening on Guadalupe Radio. Chris, you're on with Father John Tregilio. Yes, thank you for taking my call. My question is, how does the church come to the conclusion that our mother is was immaculate, immaculately conceived? Okay, well, it's from uh, we just mentioned a few moments ago in Luke's Gospel when the Archangel Gabriel meet, uh, meets Mary at what we call the Annunciation. He addresses her as "Hail, full of grace." In the English, uh, in the Latin, is "Gratia plena," and in the Greek, in which the Gospel of Luke was written, "Ke carito mene." Okay comes from the root word is charis, which, you know, means grace. It means Mary is full of grace, not uh, in the future tense, but in the present tense. Hail, full of grace. So 
Mary is full of grace. It's like a glass filled with water. means there's no room for sin. Um, if Mary did not have that particular unique gift, which is from God, it, it was given to her by God, it was Jesus extending to her the effects of what he would do on Good Friday and Easter backwards in time in Mary's timeline to her. But the fact is, when the angel calls her full of grace, that is the affirmation that she was conceived uh, in grace. Because if she was full, she would have been full all the time. Um, because she was not, like you and I, when we're baptized, that's when grace is filled, poured into us. We become adopted children of God. Uh, because of original sin of Adam and Eve, every human being okay, is born in original sin except for Mary because she's going to give Jesus an untainted human nature. Just like at the biological level, since Jesus only had one human parent, um, the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary, but Joseph was not his biological dad. Mary, biologically, her genes, her DNA, everything, determine the color of his eyes, the color of his hair, the shape of his nose, everything. That's what he inherited from Our Lady. Spiritually, because, you know, we're born... Uh, from our parents, our parents, we all received original sin. That's why we need to be baptized. But Jesus obviously did not need to be baptized because he's the son of God. He's the savior and Messiah. His mother was preserved from original sin so she could then give to him uh, that spotless human nature. But that's all based on that phrase of the archangel Gabriel, hail, full of grace. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Be sure to check out Fire on the Earth Monday through Friday mornings at 5.15 a.m. Eastern Time. It's a great way to start your day. Evangelist Peter Herbeck provides a compelling look at the new evangelization through inspiring teachings, interviews, and testimonies. Peter's insights will help you will help Catholics acquire the, t- the tools they need to do their part in the new evangelization, and nobody does it much better than Peter Herbeck. That's Fire on the Earth Monday through Friday mornings, 5.15 a.m., Eastern Time. Next up is Brian in Plymouth, Michigan, listening on Ave Maria Radio. Brian, you're on with Father Trujillo. Hey, Father, how you doing? Thanks for taking my call. Go right ahead. Hello, Father. Yeah, go right ahead, yes, Brian. Yes, go ahead. Yes, in, in Scripture, we are, we are told, and we are, we're reminded by Pope John Paul II, do not be afraid. What exactly are we not to be afraid of? <laughs> uh, very, very good question. Okay, there's many things we should not be afraid of. When Pope John Paul the Great, Saint John Paul became Pope, that was the first thing he said when he became uh, Roman Pontiff in October of 1978. He says, "Be not afraid." There's so many things to be afraid of in this world and in the, in the life we live in. I mean, people are are terrified of of COVID. They're terrified of of uh, terrorism, of crime. You know. Um, we're, we're afraid of, of the devil. We're afraid of things that, of, you know, our future, what could possibly happen. So when he says, be not afraid, he means trust in God. Bad things are going to happen, all right? You can't change that. But we can depend upon the fact that although there will be dark days, there is light at the end of the tunnel. Although Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me, we should not be afraid even of the cross because he will be there to help us carry that cross. We are not alone. So it's the idea of perseverance in trust, uh, and that's why we, we there's nothing to really be afraid of. Because even death, death is no longer something we need to fear because Jesus rose from the dead, and we have the, the, the promise of, 
of life everlasting. Therefore, the th- death is no longer a real threat. We're going to die. I mean, you can't escape that. But where you end up after death, you could end up in heaven uh, if we live a good, virtuous, holy life. Uh, if we don't get to heaven, it's our own fault. But the the prospect of death, even pain and suffering, uh, we, we don't have to be afraid of. I mean, not that we like it or enjoy it, because I would be sort of sick and de- depraved. But I don't have to be afraid of it that it's going to be uh, the last uh, chapter in my book. Uh, there's always uh, that other life without uh, end, joy without uh, ending. Uh, next up is John in New York, listening on the station of the cross. John, you're on with Father Trujillo. Hi, thank you for taking my call. Father, I have a question that uh, I've asked several priests, and I never really got an answer that I understood. Mm. But in the Missal, in the missile, um, uh, the very beginning, it says that Orthodox Christians, as well as uh, the national Polish Catholic ch- Church members, are allowed to receive communion in the Catholic Church, if it's okay with their church to do so. Is it, can you explain, is it so, so any Orthodox uh, and, and the other member of the other Church can come and receive communion in the Catholic Church? Well, my understanding is they can receive if it's impossible or very inconvenient for them to go to their church. So it's not just, you know, they can just pop in and say, I want to receive communion. But, uh, for instance, if you're like Greek Orthodox, and there's no Greek Orthodox church within 100 miles, uh, we extend that courtesy because they have, you know, the, the real presence in their church. They have real priesthood, holy orders. They have apostolic succession. So even though the person is not in complete union they do not accept the uh, authority of or primacy of the, of the of the pope uh that's a concession made but the, the the key here is from their standpoint the orthodox church does not encourage their people to do that uh, so we would say to an orthodox christian if you need to you can come here but only if your church isn't available or would be extremely inconvenient for you to get there uh, and the same with the with the Polish national. So it's not just an open-ended thing. You can come whenever you want. But that's the case if you go to the Eastern Catholic churches, the Byzantine and, and other Eastern Christians. They're in full communion. They accept the Pope. So you and I could go there anytime we want, as many times as we want, and receive communion. The Orthodox, the Greek Orthodox, Russian Orthodox, uh, Serbian Orthodox, there's so many different branches of, of, of Orthodox Christians now. They... They could receive, like I said, if it's uh, um, a good reason, but their churches do not, I mean, they're not going to let us go, <laughs> believe me. Uh, if you go into an Orthodox church, they're going to know you're Roman. <laughs> they're not going to give it to you. And they don't want their people receiving outside of, of their um, jurisdiction either. So it's happened, I know many times when, when an Orthodox Christian marries, uh, say a Roman right uh, Catholic, um, they just get used to going to church um, um, because you know their their Catholic spouse. You know, um, um, they 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 may be a Catholic church could be much more accessible, but uh, it does happen. It's in the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, the USCCB, made that proviso. It's in the missal. It's in the um, you know the missalette. It's in the, in different um, liturgical uh, documents and that. But as far as I know, it's not an open ended. 
uh, um, extension at any time anyone wants. Father John, Mary in South Bend has returned. Good. Uh, Mary, <laughs> we've been waiting for you. Welcome to the program. And I said I, I was, I'm not up on the dome. I'm standing in my kitchen. Okay, so. very good. for good. you. Good yeah. for you. Just like Thank Mary for, did. Thank you for taking my call. Father John, I was wondering, when a person dies and donates their body to medical science, is that okay within the yes. teachings of the Church? It is, it is, because that's considered um, a, a virtuous act, just like if you donated your organs. Um, when my brother, was Joe, was killed by an uh, underage drunk driver, um, there were a lot of his organs were damaged, but he donated, I think, his eyes. And my, my mother said uh, some of his bones, because they have what we call a bone bank. Um, so donating your organs or uh, giving your body to science. Uh, but I would also, I'd be specific of where you... Who gets the body? Because you always see, I mean, doctors need to practice, and them using cadavers, bodies, is something that helps them be good doctors, and you're saving lives, and they treat them with respect. Um, what you don't want is where they're doing immoral experiments, you know, uh, on your body. So if it's like a medical school, um, like uh, I was stationed in Hershey, Pennsylvania. We have the Penn State Hershey um, Hospital. It's a, it's a teaching school. For doctors, uh, if you donate your body to that, now whatever is left over, they're going to, um, you know, cremate, incinerate. Um, certainly, you would want and demand that they treat whatever whatever parts are left over with respect, uh, that they be buried if they can. Um, and I believe from doctors tell me that they they do do that. They do not just treat it like 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 trash, uh, as as maybe was done. Uh, in the beginning of medical science. Does that help, Mary? Yes, it does. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Thanks for the phone call. Next up is Dennis. We head back to the great state of New York. He's listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Dennis, you're on with Father John. Father John, thank you for taking my call. I had uh, just two brief topics. Uh, the first is this. I'd love to see more priests encouraging men to join the Knights of Columbus. So I'm celebrating 46 years of membership. Congratulations. Time, well, thank you. Uh, during that time, I probably brought in about 50 men to join mm -hmm. as well, and half of them had fallen away from the Church. Mm. The Knights of Columbus are a fraternal organization. It's family-oriented. I want to stress that. And we do bowling activities, we do comedy nights, we have um, barbecues, fish fries, all kinds of things that the family can get involved with, and all profits go back to charity. And as a result, you know, I have guys now, you know, I haven't said a prayer, I had nothing to do with church for a long time, for whatever reason, and now attending meetings where we open up with a prayer, we close our meetings with a prayer. And, you know, that's a start. And from there, they get the Catholic uh, magazine from the Knights every month. And, you know, it, slowly it's brought back families into the church. So it's a great evangelization tool, which I would ask, Father John, if you could encourage other priests to encourage men to join in the Knights of Columbus. And the second thing is, which is very important to me, a lot of these guys I talk to, they don't realize as Catholic men they can't be Freemasons because— Freemasons have a softball team. They have other activities, too, comedy night. But I said you can't participate with them, because even though they do great work, they don't believe in the Trinity. 
they don't believe Jesus is the Son of God. And your membership is of mortal sin, and it also calls for your excommunication. So, again, I, I know I put a lot on your plate, Father John. You do a great job, but please uh, get that word out if you could. And thank you for all you do. Thank you. And uh, I'm a fourth-degree knight myself. Um, I have to say, my the parishioners, when I was pastor for 16 years in Marysville, Duncannon, uh, my knights were the pillars of the parish. Uh, I help out at Father Ken Bergenti's parish in Flemington, New Jersey. His knights are pillars of the parish. And not only do they have family events, like during the, the height of the of the Wuhan pandemic, they were showing, like, out. we had movies outside, like a drive-in. People were staying in their cars to keep... Uh, you know, their social distancing, they uh, and have breakfasts and that, but they also tie in spiritual, that not only do they open and close their meetings with a prayer, but they actually make holy hours. They get involved spiritually through novenas and um, uh, litanies and doing things in the parish, yes, family-oriented, but also very spiritual. And I think those two are absolutely essential. But as a pastor, I always relied on my nights at Columbus. And one of the things that was a danger is when they used to have their little home associations, a separate club off campus, away from the church. That's when sometimes they got a little bit too secular, but um, most of the ones I know today are only located in a parish. And it's absolutely true. You cannot be a Catholic and a Freemason. If you become a Freemason, you are not allowed to receive Holy Communion. Um, the Code of Canon Law, the 1983 code, removed... The, the actual canon that was in the 17 code that said that there was automatic excommunication for Freemasons. But there's in the 83 code, it says for joining any association that is antithetical to the Catholic Church. And all you have to do is go to the funeral parlor. And when a Mason dies, they do more rituals than, than the priest or deacon does uh, at the funeral parlor. So it is definitely uh, an ulterior religion. The strong right arm of the church of past Holy Fathers have called the Knights of Columbus. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. File it away for tomorrow because we're done today. Father John, Ooh. would you leave us with a blessing? Okay. Benedica vos omnipotens Deus, Pater, et Filius, et Spiritus Sanctus. Amen. Amen. On behalf of our host, Father John Tregilio, our producer, Michael McCall, call screener, Matt Gubensky, and our social media maven, Mr. Charles Beery. I'm Jack Williams. Thanks so much for tuning in. Back at it tomorrow with Father Wade. Until we get together then, God bless.